Welcome to the Community Warehouse. This is Imran Namawala, and I'm joined once again by Habib Qadri, my gracious co-host. Habib, how are you doing? Doing well, doing well. It's been uh, been some time, and uh, I know we're, we're excited about an amazing podcast interview we have today with a good friend of yours. Correct, correct. Yeah, Dr. Keith Woods. So Dr. Keith Wood, I know I've I actually had the honor of interviewing him once before. I know he's from Brooks Middle School out in Bolingbrook, something we have to talk about, one of the best libraries that I've probably ever been to across the United States, an amazing library. And I know uh, Dr. Woods and yourself have worked uh, in Harvard together. Yes. And I also know that Dr. Wood has recently won a uh, state principal of the year award in Illinois. Correct, correct, for middle schools. So we're really excited to have him here. So we got two two award-winning uh, educational leaders. And without <laughs> further ado, let's, let's get Dr. Wood out here. Dr. Wood, how you doing? I'm doing great. Awesome. Well, we're really excited to have you here, uh, Dr. Woods. Um, as you know, that you know, this podcast is trying to bring in the community talent that we have in Illinois and throughout the United States to share ideas and thoughts of how to become better individuals, leaders, community activists, and also in the field of education. And we thought we would love to have you. Our individual has many years of experience, more than 20 years of experience. Uh, but we wanted to, uh, before we talk about this amazing award that you won this year for being the top middle school principal in the state of Illinois, we wanted to, before we find out about those amazing things that you have done to be recognized, we want to get a better understanding of who Dr. Keith Wood and your journey to where you are right now, uh, from the principal to the chair of the Harvard uh, School of Education Advisory Board for the Principal Center. So we wanted to kind of see if you could just take a few minutes to kind of give us a better understanding to all of our listeners out there, not fellow educators, leaders, community activists, just students, uh, to get a better idea of who Dr. Keith Wood is. Sure, I'm happy to do so. It's just really interesting when we, uh, as I listen to you talk about like where I am now, it's kind of hard to like connect that to who I was when I was just thinking about getting into education or just living my life, to be honest. So I was born and raised on the south side of Chicago, uh, spent time uh, between 32nd and Prairie, all the way up to 92nd and Stony, between both sets of grandparents. Um, my parents decided to move out of Chicago into Bellwood, um, essentially just in search of a better opportunity. Uh, for me. And I was able to attend uh, Jefferson Elementary, MacArthur Middle School, Proviso West High School, and right after that went into the military. And I would like to say, which I always often do, that I probably wouldn't be here if it wasn't for my experience in the military and uh, the support of my family. School was really never the place for me. I always went because it was just something to do or it was mandated, but I never really understood what the purpose was for it. And I really didn't feel like I was connected to any of the schools um, that I went to. And that's not to say that I didn't have good educators and uh, good people who were in my corner. I just wasn't ready for it. Mm. But um, going to the military really opened my eyes to the differences that existed across our nation in terms of people who had options and those who did not. Mm -hmm. And it was at that moment <clears throat> that I decided I wanted to be part of the solution and not necessarily part of the problem. 
Could you go back to the military component of it? And what, can you go into more details in terms of how the military uh, prepared you? Sure. I think part of it was just the, the, the rigor and the discipline of, you know, having a mission and being focused on that. But I think more importantly was the relationships, the people that I met from all across the nation, different states, and hearing their stories about where they came from, how they got into the Army, I'm learning about their families, their communities. And for many of them, it was like the, the, the military was their only option. And so it just made me think about education and how it's like a lever for many people to like move from, you know, one level to the next. And if not provided with that opportunity, you know, many, many don't make it. They don't they don't get to the level or their experience. Um, all that there is that can be experienced just due to the fact that it wasn't there as an option. So now when you, so when you, you left the military, so what, what, what did you first, before you became a school leader, did you teach for some time? Or, you know, just like, like a quick, quick brief uh, timeline to before you got it all the way up to Brooks uh, Middle School. Sure. I started in Maywood, Merrill's Park, District 89, three years as a social studies teacher. I felt that connection. I was a social studies teacher too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that that connection, <laughs> and I was only there for a few short years. And I, I think out of my entire career, that's one of my regrets is not spending more time in the classroom, mm. getting more of a foundation mm -hmm. in terms of like instructional practice through the lens of a, a teacher. Mm -hmm. And so I've done things over the you know the years to try to support that piece, mm -hmm. but one of my good colleagues or uh, friends at the time said, hey, you know, there's this um, type 75 that you could start exploring. Might as well get started now. <laughs> and I told her, I was like, I just graduated. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm good where I'm at. She's like, no, no, no. You need to continue on. And, and I did. And when I graduated uh, with my master's degree, that very next uh, fall, I was right in the schools as an administrator. So spent a few years in Merrill's, Maywood Merrill's Park as a building leader at the assistant principal level. Mm -hmm. And then Dr. Joseph Palermo reached out to me from uh, Berkeley School District 87 and said, hey, you know, love to have you come on board. Um, we have a spot for you. And I was able to transition there, which was pretty cool because that was a school I graduated from in eighth grade. So I had an opportunity to see it from all ends and even work with some educators who hadn't yet retired by the time I made it back. Nice, nice, nice. Did, mm -hmm. did, did you have any aha moments while you were studying? Um, Cause you brought up your, you know, your, your trajectory and the different places you lived and your different school experiences and not quite being prepared or not quite understanding the benefits of education. So while you're in college, while you're getting your master's, while you're uh, starting off in Melrose Park and uh, was Melrose Park or Maywood? Um, it's both as a combined district. Yeah. My, my, my connection is like I, I grew up in Schiller Park and Melrose Park is where I went to the movie theater. I used to go to the Cinemark yeah. in Melrose Park. Yeah. So so what, what, like what are some of the aha moments you're having early on in your career that make you think, you know what, I wish I had this opportunity as a student myself? I think part of it is just like, I mean, I think our growth and development is just people and individuals based on experiences. And when you 
I mean, there are many factors, but it's it's a lot of it has to do with the experience and access. So if you don't have opportunity to engage in different experiences, something as simple as going on a field trip, if you don't have those opportunities, then you you don't know, you don't have a chance to like grow and develop and see things uh, through different lenses from multiple perspectives. So even as a teacher early on, I knew that was important. And I think my kids and, and their families early on, they were like, what is wrong with, with, with Mr. Wood? Because it wasn't doctor at the time of Mr. Wood. Why is he taking us on all these field trips? And why is his class the only class that goes and you know everyone else stays behind? And I have to pay another field trip fee? And I thought it was important. So we got out quite often just to go in different parts of the city, go to different museums, um, different other experiences that kids would normally get, just you know, eating lunch somewhere other than the school cafeteria. Hmm. So, so this idea of having, you know, people who have, you know, experiencing to look at the world from various eyes or various perspectives. I, I'm also hearing this uh, idea of, of having, you know, mentors of individuals to help motivate you are, are pushing you to keep, you know, moving forward. So take, inculcating some of those. So when you now became a school leader yourself, and now you had your own school where, you know, you've been, how long have you been at uh, Brooks Middle School? This is my 12th year. 12th year. All right. Wow. So you've been there for 12 years. What we, what, if you had to say, like, hey, here's what you, you know, when you first got there uh, and, you know, um, what were some things that you've tried to do to make sure you try to get all the stakeholders involved? And what were some of your goals uh, to so some for some of the individuals to see? what you maybe walked into and to where you are now for for the state of Illinois to recognize uh, and and um, and and vote you in to be the the national uh, the state principal middle school principal of the year sure I think I think two things maybe three really stand out for me one is service the other's community mm -hmm. and the other is equity mm -hmm. so I've tried to like, spend the lion's share of my life and education as a, as a teacher, as a school leader, kind of focusing in those areas. And I think over the years, we've been able to like really uh, move forward as a school. And I could say like one of the, the biggest things that that happened when I got to Brooks was, you know, I was talking to my leadership team and other folks about like, how can I like, what would be some good ways to connect uh, to the community? And I remember having a conversation with Sharon Alexander, who's uh, also an educator and she was a former administrator in Valley View. And I, I just randomly, and this is about like experiences, right? I have randomly met her in line, getting some, um, some ham for Christmas, I believe, or Thanksgiving or what it was. So just a random conversation and we just met that way. And she was telling me about some things that she had either done or heard about to like get introduced into a community. And one of the things she mentioned was um, house visits. So I'm like, okay, I have about 1,100 students. That'd be pretty hard to get to every house. But maybe if we did it with incoming class, the sixth graders, and we could build up on that, you know, over the years. So that's what we did. We got buses through the district, got folks to volunteer to go out, and we uh, hit just about every house, not every kid was home, but for the students and the parents that opened the door to our staff, it was, I kind of, I think it was kind of like transformational um, to a certain um, degree. 
because it's something that folks typically don't do. They just wait for kids to arrive at the school and then that's when education starts. So I think that was a way of signaling that community is important and that we're here to support both home and school and make that connection. So we, when we did that the first few years, it was very interesting when we would talk to, or, and I live in a community, so I would run into you know, people at different places. They're like, well, we can't wait for you to come. Um, to our house next year. And I was like, oh, okay, so we definitely got to do it another year, you know, just keep that momentum going. But it, it says a lot to, I think, our staff to get to see mm. um, the wide range of students that we serve. And we went to every area of Bolingbrook and also in the Romeoville because we're, we're spread over two communities and they're quite large. It was something that was important to us. And we did that for about three or four, maybe five years. And then we um, transitioned to doing on site, like what we will call like bulldog bashes, like welcome back to school. And it's just a lot of fun and pomp and circumstance. And then pandemic hit. Nice. So, so you, you went from kind of when was one part was connection and, mm-hmm. and, and then it, which is that sense of belonging that you, you, you hear that quite a bit. And a lot of psychologists are really to motivate individual kids or to make them feel comfortable at a school, that sense of belonging. Um, then the other aspect is like, you know, you, you, uh, um, is, you know, from the academic front, what were some things that you maybe try to see from where, where you were and what were some, uh, protocols or procedures or systems that you try to set, uh, uh, set in place to help kind of making sure, uh, great learning is happening? Sure. I think from the academic perspective, it's really about, Staying connected and keeping like the instructional core, Habib, you're going to nod your head, the instructional core front and center mm-hmm. and knowing that you got teachers and students and, and the content that they're connected to mm-hmm. as the core of instruction. And knowing that when you make a, a change or shift in one, you have to uh, understand and, and respond to and support the other. So I think the major focus academically is just getting in the classrooms visiting with teachers, visiting with students, not necessarily looking at what the teacher is doing. The instructional moves are important, but more importantly is the student. What is the student doing? How are they engaging? What are they working on? Identifying level of rigor, depth of knowledge that exists Mm -hmm. and listening to what they say to each other, to the teacher, and so shifting that focus from the the instructor and just thinking about the instructor more as a facilitator and really trying to key in on what is actually happening and how the student is processing how they're making their thinking visible in order to diagnose um, learning needs misconceptions to help move kids forward the other part of it is just right curriculum implementation one of the things that we we've done over the last couple of years has just really had a lot of conversations across staff in terms of like, how do we, how is our curriculum representative of the students that are in front of us? Mm-hmm. And we look at that through the lens of race, equity, diversity, and inclusion. Mm-hmm. And, you know, is our, are our curriculums inclusive? If not, how can we make them more so? Mm-hmm. Definitely want to teach the content, but then this gets back to your sense of belonging and community. Those things to me are equally as important because if, if kids don't feel they belong, then they're less likely to um, connect to the school, more likely 
perhaps to disengage and not get the full um, impact of what we're providing. So I'm hearing you guys are visiting homes, right? And then you're also working on the curriculum. You're talking to staff. So you're getting buy-in from across different stakeholders, being parents, the students, and the staff. Does this make your job easier in the long term in terms of, you know, I've never experienced a teacher visiting my house. And I could only imagine if, if, if a teacher did, I could imagine my parents giving them like carte blanche in terms of doing, <laughs> doing whatever they wanted at the school. So do you feel like your job has become easier because the parents now, they get FaceTime, they get, they, they get to see you at a more personal level. So how, how has that impacted the, the, the situation? Yeah, I, I would agree with that. So I think one of the things that helps with that is the fact that I'm a community member. So I see people mm. all over <laughs> um, different places, Walmart, school, it, it doesn't matter. So they know that our staff is approachable. Our, our staff is supportive. And yes, I, I think it does. It breaks down the barriers that often exist between home and school. It, it, it increases the level of trust. And folks know that there's someone they could go to when they, they have a need. So it's about communication and letting parents know, also informing them of the resources that are available, um, whether we have that offered directly in the school, which we have, I mean, a ton. I mean, I could, I could spend a whole hour talking about the different resources that we have, but I would like take a little bit of time to talk about one. And, you know, so by providing that, that increases the opportunity for students to be successful. Mm. So you have, I'm going to slowly go into another segment, but just the first, so just to kind of clarify, so we would say, hey, we got students who are taking care of, making sure the curriculum, and then for teachers and kind of for 14 years to kind of keeping that buy-in and, and, and staying, were there, were there any gems or anything that you would kind of want to share to fellow educators or even people working corporate America, any other place, to how to keep that, that cohesive and that positive climate and culture with the staff also, knowing that middle school is not, not the easiest. And you have about what, if I remember, about a thousand kids or eight to 1,200 kids? Um, 1,100. Wow. 1,100, yeah. six, seven, eight grade students. It's no joke. <laughs> I see that, the age of 13. <laughs> well, I, I think more specifically about 300 to 400 seventh graders, but yes. that's another story. <laughs> um, I, you, I'm not going to say that, you know, everything has been, you know, wine and roses. There's always, you know, peaks and valleys. Right. So I think the way to sustain that is just to constantly uh, check in, mm -hmm. keep a finger on the pulse and find out what the need is, particularly more when you feel that it's something that you don't want to hear. I think those are the things that are more, more, most important because that um, creates opportunity to refine practice over time. So it's, it's definitely something, you know, you know, we learn about balcony view or bird's eye view and then being down on the dance floor. So teachers on the dance floor, they are in the midst of everything and they see things at their level. As a building leader, I don't have that, that opportunity or privilege. So I have to listen to voice and, and feedback, whether it's on how folks feel about the curriculum or practices that we have in the school. Not everyone agrees, but I think part of it is just listening. What I, I like to call it listening to learn. You have to open yourself up to all types of information. And then more importantly, make sure that you have a team that is 
able to talk about the good, the bad, everything in between and, and, and just hash it out, have that conversation and be involved in a planning process. And we like to say that, you know, we're not always going to solve every um, situation in a moment. Some of these things take a, a while to um, get better at. But I think when people know that they have a voice, they're being heard. And also the other part is we're not always going to agree. But if people know that they've been able to provide that input and they could understand reasonably the rationale for a specific course of action, then it's more likely that people will, even if it goes against what, what they wanted, will, will support it because they know at the end of the day, we're here for students and we're here for our wider school community. So, you know, what's amazing for anyone who's listening to this and the audience is that as he's running this school of 1,100 individuals, he also was a part-time professor, and if I remember, Concordia College? Yeah, that was um, back in the day, correct. Back, and then also, uh, he, is the, he is the chair of Harvard University Advisory Board School of Education, or Principal Center, uh, co-chair. Uh, and, uh, you know, so kind of give us more about that, uh, uh, Keith, what, what are some of the things that the advisory board at Harvard University, you know, does? Is it, with the, you know, focusing on some of the professional development programs? Just want to kind of give uh, how you're balancing all that. So first, what you do there and then some tips about how do you balance all this? Right. So. So as a co-chair, part of our duties and I believe, Habib, you know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> part of our duties are is just essentially i mean because you're involved in it right part of our duties is essentially coming together and one i think it's networking so we're we're, we're pursuing our own professional learning but also we're learning about and advising on um, programs activities institutes that harvard is either implemented and need feedback on or considering implementing so it's like we're actually like impacting a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and this is um, central to HU, but also nationwide. One of the other things that I like to uh, I think I've, I've definitely grown and benefited from is just conducting school visits mm -hmm. and um, going to different regions across the nation, experiencing best practice or innovative practices. And doing what I call beg, borrow, and steal, and so learning about it and taking it back to implement. Thanks, man. So, in terms of balance, and I also want to add, and not not because I'm bragging or anything, I'm just saying this is what I do. I asked you. That's why it's all good, <laughs> right? So, so I think service is another component of it, right? So, service to the Harvard University educational system. I'm gaining from it, but I'm also serving there. Um, I'm also part of the Valley View Educational Richmond Foundation. I'm on that board and we do some very positive things across the district, supporting fundraising and grant initiatives for teachers and students across Valley View schools. So spend time serving on that. Um, spend time. I'm on the board for H2O, which is another student centered organization in our community and uh, essentially they they use the word they want to provide a transformative experience for their students mm. and so i embrace that transformation 
we spoke earlier about experiences and helping um, folks get from one level to the next. Mm -hmm. I think that is key and essential uh, and, and a key piece to it. So um, I'm also a member of our local um, Lions Club. Again, service to the community, sight and sound. That, I think my commitment to service is kind of one of the things that really keeps me interested mm. in doing what I do, enjoying mm. what I do, even during the darkest moments, um, like the pandemic, for example, which really like put everybody in a tailspin. But it just, you know, it just keeps me connected uh, to the community, knowing what the needs are, and it keeps me grounded. I hope I answered your question. Yeah, we also know something that on the side that, you know, with all that other business to keep him grounded, one of the other things when he needs to just clear his mind is go on a cruise about 30 to 100, maybe sometimes 50 to 200 miles on his uh, cruisers. <laughs> yeah, so, so that's the work-life balance part of it, right? For all the young ones, he wears a helmet. And he <laughs> Yeah, so sometimes you have to get out there and clear your mind, certainly. But, you know, just spending time with family, yeah, going to movies, just decompressing. My wife will probably tell you I spend too much time on my phone. That's, <laughs> that's true. I agree with it. But sometimes you do need a separation. But also, at the same time, I think that a lot of the things I do, I do them because I like doing them. Yes, it takes time. And it just, to me, it's just a complete circle. So I'm going to uh, pitch a question to both of you. Obviously, like if somebody likes basketball, you grow up playing basketball, your dream is to make it to the NBA. If you grow up with, uh, you know, being creative and you want like uh, videography, you want to make it to Hollywood. Both of you are from Chicago. I'm from Chicago as well. You guys grew up. I know and I interviewed Dr. Wood a couple years ago. Habib, I've interviewed you. Uh, modest background. Talk about that initial excitement or that initial feeling when you got invited to join Harvard and to join at a high level. I mean, that's not a, that's not something that everyone has access to. So what was that initial uh, reaction like? So I could tell you that when and this was before it was, I think, my final year at Berkeley, my assistant superintendent, she was. No, it was. A, yeah. Assistant superintendent at the time was very good about laying out professional development opportunities. And there was one for um, the learning leadership evolving vision at HU. And she's like, you should try this. And I was like, do you know how much this costs? And she's like, yeah, just try it. See how it goes. I'm like, okay. And so once again, the word transformative comes up. It was the only institute that I had attended where I was in a room, about 140 other school leaders, give or take, Habib, that's how, how we met. So many like-minded people so many people who obviously went there to get their battery recharged, but just so positive, so, so hopeful about education. It was I was just blown away. So I would like to say that 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 initial experience, it transformed. I'm like me, a, a South, a kid from the South Side. I mean, I don't look like a kid now, but, I, you know, I, I still feel like that in many ways. There is no way I should be sitting here on this interview just talking to you guys about um, my work and, and my life. But it, that those experiences I'm working with HUS definitely help, like help me learn and grow as an educator, see things through different lenses and really like focus in on what's like the most critical elements of, you know, just teaching and learning and, and life in general. So every year um, I've had the opportunity to be connected in one way or another, whether it's facilitating small groups during institutes 
And so that learning has continued for the last, what, 12 years or so, and just so grateful for it. How about, you, how about yourself? And, and, and they liked me so much. It's like, hey, you want, we, we want you to be the chair of the advisory board. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it, it's, it's been, I think, one of the greatest things is, you know, you have this opportunity to learn from each other, right? So it's, it's not just even from the professors, but from others and their experiences. But the ideas of, of being open and so, you know, you know, really one of the big things is, is, you know, I think one of the things at Harvard, I think we've all learned is to reevaluate ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. you, know, you really want to change others or transform others. You need to make sure you, you are you able to transform? Are you able to rethink and refocus on thoughts as, as, as kids and life and teachers and curriculums and change? How do you go ahead and kind of balance all the stakeholders together? So I think that's been great. And, and just the opportunity of just, and I feel like when we when you when you do things, um, you know, hopefully for that passion, I think it's it's nice that we were just doing our stuff, and then through time, people just recognize you or whatever, and then we're invited. So it just it comes, it's just a unique opportunity, and I think it's just been something that's been great. And we've get to visit so many different schools, see some doctoral students, and what are the research that they're doing. Mm -hmm. So I think it's it's really beneficial for us too, even though they're taking our advice. And I think that's what's so beautiful to see sometimes even these professors. Who are there for many years so humble to be like hey Kate as practitioners what do you guys think right and I think that's what the beauty of I think Harvard is it's not even though it's theory but there's a lot of times that there, there's relationships with practitioners to make sure that theory can be put into practice yeah and, and make it transformative and I think that's you know uh, I think that's one of the beauty of uh, Harvard University and we're really excited and yeah that, I would agree with that you know my boss on my advisory board <laughs> <laughs> i agree with that 100 percent, habib and it's like you 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 hit the nail on the head you know theory to action um the theory to practice making it making sure that it's you know it, it might work in a vacuum but the the litmus test is when you're actually in classrooms watching students do the work engaging in conversations with educators it's key it's critical and just to be connected to folks from across the globe. I mean, it's, it's, I've met so many wonderful people from all over the place and, and coming with, you know, from a place of being humble and, and I mean, some brilliant folks, but really just being passionate about the work, talking about like what we could do to take our schools, whether it's private, public or, or what have you, to the next level. So Go ahead, W. Yeah, go ahead. I was gonna say, what's on the horizon for you, Doctor Wood? Like, what, what, what's on, what's in the future? What, what's on this trajectory that you've already uh, laid out for us? Um, I think it's in process. I'm going to continue um, the work in Valley View. Um, I just put in for um, three-year notice of um, retirement, so my official, like, full-time work will come to a close in the not too distant future. But eventually, um, I don't know, I'm just really, really playing around with the idea of working um, in either a rural community or um, with indigenous folk to the extent that I can mm -hmm. to just continue to provide folks with like mm -hmm. transformative experiences or, or options or seeing things from different perspectives. So I, I see the work continuing, but in the short term, we definitely have a lot of work to do um, at Brooks and in a, um, the community as a whole across our district in terms of equity. And we want to make sure that we're providing 
um, experiences that are reflective of the students that we have in our charge. So we're working at the building level, um, at the district level, partnering to, to see what we could do to like eliminate the achievement gap, to shine a spotlight on the needs to, you know, build in systems of support to make it more likely that every student um, gets what they need. Well, Dr. Woods, again, you know, really appreciate you taking your time. You know, me and Dr. Woods, uh, first up, we were we we dormed together. <laughs> I remember uh, back at one of the Harvard uh, dormitories. Yeah, the official. So it was like we were students, but we were grown. <laughs> so, you know, it was it was great. And again, you know, hey, thank you so much, and, and and future success for everything you have accomplished and what you're doing for the kids, and and in your future goals of uh, also still, even if you retire, you, you still already have some places that you want to go and help out specific groups of individuals. Uh, that kind of shows the character of an individual you have uh, you are. So I don't just say I can't just say you're one of my colleagues, but I always say also a friend. So really appreciate you taking Indeed. your time. Again, congratulations, well deserved uh, um, uh, award for Dr. Woods and congratulations to you and your family. Thank you. And if, if I could just uh, say one sure. thing and it's cause I, I, I didn't mention it and I want to community partnerships, I think are key mm -hmm. because schools just can't, we don't exist in a vacuum. So anytime you have an opportunity to reach out make connections, do so. So one of the things we did this um, year at Brooks was to open up a, or partner with Will County health and their organization. And we put a clinic at, in middle school, I mean, at Brooks. So it was the first middle school in our district to have a clinic on site. So students can get physicals, immunizations, uh, wellness checks. Uh, we're looking to expand to get the mobile dentist out and connected so that students won't have to lose instructional time. They could have everything taken care of on site. Nice. Amazing. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Dr. Wood, thank you. Go, go ahead, Oh, that's it. That was awesome. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for your time. It was always a pleasure to interview and learn from your journey, and we look forward to having you back on. All right. I really appreciate the opportunity, and until um, the next time. Thank you.